Um, I told my partner, Pat, that I was giving this talk about true love tonight. And she said, oh, you're very brave. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I wasn't really feeling that. <laughs> but I thought that was an interesting response. But I think also she's a little bit more private than I am. <laughs> but I, I guess I also want to say um, that I, I see this training as being about sexuality, but I'm going to talk about sex, but not just in case anyone was wondering. Um, you know, so, so I, I, I don't think there's going to be anything like um, R-rated <laughs> or even close to that in this talk. Um, um, and um, I guess I'm, I'm sort of giving disclaimers here. Um, I, I didn't um, become introduced to the mindfulness trainings and to this one until I moved here in uh, 2018. And I had been with my partner, Pat, for um, almost 30 years by that point. So a lot of the like painful grist of sort of figuring out where I was with this happened <laughs> before, you know, before. So I kind of like, you know, I don't know, just sort of have it easy. I guess the other thing that informs, informs my thoughts about this is that my my parents and my mother in particular was a very strong believer in true love and in part and in a kind of really strongly pair bonded partnership for better or worse um and she and my dad were together for um 67 years so so that so so there's a part of you know, just ha having that way of living in, in my background, that it was sort of like a given that that, that was the way I was going to want to live. Uh, so that's a kind of a disclaimer in a sense, I think, um, because not, well, I, I think that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> um, they had their good times and their bad times. And, you know, like, like all relationships, I guess, are all partnerships like that. There's a lot, um, there's a lot that, that one, I think, needs to be open to learning about oneself. And I think that that did happen for both of my parents. Um, so, true love. I, um, one of my guideposts for thinking about what I wanted to say um, is this wonderful book, The Mindfulness Survival Kit, and I, I'm pretty sure we have copies of that in our library. Um, so this gives um, more details and, and practices that are thought to be helpful um, in association with each of the, of the five trainings. So um, this I love this book. I think it's wonderful. So Thich Nhat Hanh, 
the Mindfulness Survival Kit, Five Essential Practices. So I'll refer to it a couple of times. Um, I love this movie called Dan in Real Life. And um, I think I sort of love it because my brother-in-law is named Dan. And, and um, this movie is starring Steve Carell. And if you want a movie that you could watch with like everyone in your family, like parents, grandparents, kids, it's one of those kind of movies, at least to me, very heartwarming. So Dan, Steve Carell's character, is a widowed dad who writes an advice column on being a good parent. While during the course of the movie, he is shown to really be missing that mark somewhat. <laughs> and um, in one of the ways he is. He is adamant that his second daughter, Kara, who I think is probably only about 15, um, she cannot really love this boy that she's fallen in love with. And, and he implies that she's kind of confusing sex with love. He never quite, I don't think he wants to even, you know, acknowledge that that might be a possibility, you know, that she could be thinking about that anyway. But um, anyway, Kara, the young woman's boyfriend, Marty, I think has the best line in the film. When, when he's confronted by Dan, you know, and Dan is like saying, no, you, you, know, you don't know what you're doing. Marty just says, love is not a feeling, it's an ability. And that really resonates with me and with this training, I think. Um, when I got together with my partner, Pat, that is now nearly 33 years ago, I remember thinking to myself, I can do this. And I think it was really, like I'd had a number of relationships before that. I was in my early 30s. Um, and I, I don't recall really quite ever ha having that sense in a relationship before, you know, of. Like, I mean, I, ha I had a lot of the sense of really wanting to be with someone, you know, wh that particular person. But this idea of, I can, I can do this. I can do this. I think I really want to, you know, I can. I can do this. I can make this happen. Um, that's, not, that's not really what I want to say about it. Just this sense of an ability, that, th that this is an ability that I have. Now, what made me think that? Well, I knew that I wanted to be in a partnership. And I guess, uh, you know, someone to sh share deeply with, befriend, be loyal to, and make love with. And I, I think I sensed some kind of deep, um, not, not only compatibility, but just a connection that was a really, really deep connection. Um, and, and yeah, we, we did, we definitely share um, some really important things, you know, key values, worldviews, we're both scientists. We even collaborated with each other when we were professors at Iowa State, although we had a really good rule, which was we never brought work home. <laughs> we never talked about what was going on in our labs when we were at home. Um, and, and sex, you know, was and is important to me. Um, by the time I had met Pat, I, 
I kind of had learned how great a pleasure sex could be, mostly, you know, relatively brief relationships with a lot of really, you know, women who intrigued me. Um, navigating a long-term partnership has been deeply challenging um, so far. Um, I'm sure that it will continue to be. And maybe it's just sort of dumb luck that sexual fidelity, loyalty hasn't been an issue um, for me. Um, but learning what, what truly makes Pat happy and how to read between the lines and that balance of independence and interdependence um, are among those, those challenges. Um, and often, you know, when I look at her, I just feel that feeling that I love her. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting. I sort of wondered every once in a while, you know, the first little while that we were together, was I going to always feel this way? And somehow, I, I just keep coming back to that. And when I look at her, I feel that way. Most, almost all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and all I can say is, I feel really lucky. And it, and it is a joy um, to experience that. Um, I, I, I want to move from that to this idea that sex motivated by craving is harmful. Um, wanting to connect with someone deeply, including sexually, seems to me a matter of finding some kind of balance. I, th I think of sexuality after many yeah, I guess I'd say, I mean, many is a relative term, right? <laughs> a, a dozen or more <laughs> painful experiences. Um, sex is a really interesting opportunity to cultivate a healthy equanimity. Uh, so what I mean by that is you might have heard the saying, um, there are more fish in the sea. You know, this comes to mind for me. Um, I, I, I feel like um, maybe I'm, I'm sort of mellowing over time, but my nature is fairly obsessive. And I've had a number of really, obs you know, times when I was really obsessed with a particular person, a person I craved wanting to be lovers with. And, um, and one time, one of these experiences, I w it was my, like the year before my senior year of college, living in Southern California. And um, I was just cravingly in love with a woman who, um, this was the, mo the, su the, uh, the summer the movie Jaws came out, which, <laughs> So I'll explain the connection. Um, so I was just really in love with this woman. And one day she was saying she loved me and sort of promising the moon. And literally, the next day, she dumped me for my best friend. And it was, 
it was just like, uh, you know, I was desolate. How, how could anyone else, you know, do for me? You know, and, and you know, just feeling horrible about myself and how could this happen? But, and then a friend gave me that advice, you know, that many fish in the sea advice, which I was really having a hard time grasping. But then I had this dream that I was going to see the movie Jaws. So I remember in the dream walking down the aisle to take a seat and the curtains opening and there's this movie. Now, I don't know, maybe you haven't all seen this movie, but the beginning of the movie, um, this young woman is frolicking in the water and she gets eaten and bitten in half by a shark, by this, the jaws, the shark. And as, as the movie unfolds, I become her, the remains of this young woman on the beach. And I lift my head up, you know, half eaten. My lower half is gone. And I start saying to myself, oh, I'm, I'm okay. It's all going to grow back. And then I start walking around, even though I don't have like the bottom half of me. And then gradually it sort of grows back. Now, you could maybe you sort of could imagine that was a pretty powerful experience. I mean, to me, it was like, oh, yeah, there are many fish in the sea. <laughs> Not necessarily sharks either. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, that this could be really a sign of healing for me. And of course, ever since then, my home is populated by sharks. I have all these little shark toys and things like that. I just love sharks. <laughs> and, but, you know, this idea of moving into a better emotional frame uh, 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 and, and moving on to this idea of, well, wait a minute, there are a lot of people who I could love and many ways that a person could look or act or believe and I could love them. So, so I feel like, you know, really establishing a kind of equanimity about love was a really crucial part of, of the person that I've become. I agree with the mindfulness survival kit that love, true love is a process of discovery. Discovering my depths of ability to practice what are described in what, what Teresa read for us the um, four elements of love, um, loving kindness, the first one, um, beginning with myself and moving outward. As um, in some traditions, it's called a metta meditation, and many of you are probably familiar with it, and there are many versions of this, but a kind of simple one that I use in my practice is, um, saying to myself, may you, may you be safe and free from suffering. May you be happy and healthy. May you have ease of being. And then, um, and then you, you start with the hopes for yourself and you can just stay there. Or you can move into extending those hopes that meditation toward your partner or someone who you're very close to that you're thinking about. And then, um, and then someone who you're having difficulty with. And then 
the whole world. You know, I'm thinking, thinking those things for everyone. And so, again, this is a part of my regular practice. So that loving kindness foundation. Um, compassion, that second element. Um, work, working, which is um, described in the Mindfulness Survival Kit as um, working to alleviate suffering. And breathing, breathing, just breathing into a difficult feeling that I'm having is one suggestion that I, that I have really taken to heart for cultivating this compassion. And I always find it kind of, I don't know, like miraculous that so often when I do that, that the, the difficulty is just transformed and, and alleviated. And, um, and, uh, and taking time to do that with someone else, just you know, like if, you, if I notice someone else is, in, is having difficulty, just sort of taking, taking time, it does not even necessarily a long time, but just being with them, just being with them and maybe making the suggestion or not even saying anything, but just breathing along with them as they're encountering whatever that difficulty is. Um, so I think, I think that, that, pra that that's one of the aspects of practicing compassion. Um, joy is the third aspect of love. And, you know, sometimes I, I'm just sitting in my living room doing nothing. Um, and this feeling comes to me, this feeling of, of joy comes to me. And I, I have this sense somehow that this is something that's, that's happening to me more in the last few years. And I've, I've been doing a daily meditation practice for about five years. And who knows what, what the connection is. Um, I'm just gonna say that I think there is somehow. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and this idea of just being, being here, being, being, being wherever I am, just in whatever that moment is, in a, any random moment, I can feel that. And I think, um, maybe bringing it back to my relationship with Pat, they're just simple things that we do on a daily basis. Like, she loves coffee. And so we have our coffee and I eat my breakfast and we read the newspaper and we sit there and it, there's just this wonderful feeling there. Just, just something, something as simple as that, and it just is a wonderful thing. Um, I certainly find that being out in nature is also something. And one of the things that drew Pat and I to live here is that we have a shared love, passion for fly fishing, and and being able to share that and and just being out in nature and appreciating that in any weather can bring joy. Um, so ways of cultivating joy. Um, I think the, f the fourth element of love is inclusive, of true love is inclusiveness. And I, I see that as sort of perplexing or paradoxical in a way. And I think that, again, the, 
the survival kit has has some useful things to say about that, but I think it's definitely something that I that I spent quite a bit of time pondering. It, that it seems strange to think of deep faithfulness to one partner as inclusiveness. Um, so here's my take on that. Now, when I started grad school, I went to University of California, Berkeley in 1979. And that was a really crucial year because that was the beginning of the HIV epidemic. And I remember being there and knowing men in the you know, gay mecca of Castro Street there in San Francisco. And, and then seeing that tragedy unfold. And I, I remember re reading about, you know, in some of the history of that time, and I knew some men who practice this ethic of sexual inclusiveness. And, and it, it really literally meant that they made themselves available to whoever was there. And there were lots of opportunities to, to be sexual. And, you know, the idea of, you know, sex was an essential need and whoever you happen to be with, you shared sex with them. Um, now, I, I think, that there, there, there's some element of the idea of like this sort of like loving the whole world kind of idea in there. You know, that, that's sort of noble in a way or sort of, you know, I can remember this other, this great like lesbian classic novel called The Desert of the Heart. And it was made into a movie called Desert Hearts. Well, the main character of that movie, Kay, she ends up, you get the sense ultimately that she ends up establishing finally a, a long, like a, you know, deep partnership with this woman who comes into her life in the story, but that she has this history of just sort of going from bed to bed and just trying to love everyone. And one of her ex-girlfriends says in the course of both the movie and the book, that she that Kay wants to love the whole damn world. And I I feel like, you know, there's a time in my life when I sort of flirted with that idea or had a sense of, you know, so where is my ethic about sex and love? And um, I guess I came to the conclusion that um, that there's something about being human for me that is, that is being very specific. Like there's certain, certain people that I am just more deeply connected with than other people. And, um, and there's always a lot to think about there in terms of what that means. But I think that, you know, I definitely had a few experiences of trying to be very open 
sexually and realizing that it was just taking me to places with other people that were that just were beyond what I could I could really deal with um, and I don't I don't know what else I need to say about that just that that I guess being human there are limits being human there I have limits I have my limits and I think that you know that this uh, this idea of you know just be, being open to sex with anyone it did have you know I, I just remember this era in particular and I know some of my friends from them have survived and and I know that they rigorously practice safe sex and some of them were just you know survived because they were in long-term partnerships that have sustained but I can just recall you know the tears in the eyes of tourists when they realized what was happening as I, I and thousands of LGBTQ plus activists were witnessing the Names Project quilt being unfolded on the National Mall in Washington DC in I think it was about 1985 and literally football field after football field after football field of names of people of men, mostly gay men not entirely um, but 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 you know men who died of AIDS and their their bright sparks we were just you know left with this quilt square to remember them and I guess I think of that the ethic of fidelity to a single partner has merit in terms of not harming each other and I okay so that's like you know like the most I don't know like a real obvious example of not harming each other by not sharing a deadly illness and of course AIDS isn't that way now although it has difficulties for people but um, but I think I think the meaning of inclusivity in terms of being in this committed partnership is more the idea that there's something about that partnership that helps me to become a better and better person who has more love to give to the world because of that love that I'm that I'm experiencing and giving in that partnership and and that it gives us an ever-growing ability to love everyone um, and so I, I think this third mindfulness training true love it it truly holds so much to discover and I think it does have bright hope for our future continuation thank you for listening to me I appreciate being here